So now I'm gonna welcome up Sarah Anderson. She's our children's director here. She's super powerful, an amazing speaker. Join me in welcoming her. All right, good morning. How is everybody? Good. All right, we're gonna talk today about expectation. We could go a lot of different ways talking about expectation, but we're gonna really focus today on the expectations that we have for other people. And then turn that around and talk about our expectations that we have for God and for how we expect him to move and to work. So when I think of the expectations that we have for other people, there are really like four different ways that this can play out. The first way is that we have a positive expectation for somebody. We think that they're gonna do something good, they're gonna have a positive personality trait, and then that person meets our expectation. Okay, that's a good thing. When that happens, our expectation of that person just kind of becomes more solidified in our mind. Maybe we even like raise our expectations for them as a result of that interaction. So for example, I have an expectation of Van. I expect that Van is going to tell dad jokes at the start of his sermons <laughs> and that I'm going to laugh or usually groan when he tells a joke, okay? And every Sunday that he comes up here and he starts a sermon with a joke and I laugh or I groan, that expectation becomes more firmly entrenched that Van tells really good dad jokes, okay? Who's with me on that? Yeah. Okay, so positive expectation, he meets that. That's a good thing. The second scenario is to have a positive expectation of someone, but they don't meet it. So in this case, we either give grace and forgiveness. We kind of say like, well, maybe they had a bad day. Maybe they're kind of off their game. Or we start to like lower our expectations for that person. We start to not expect quite as much out of them. So when I was in college, I had an expectation for my theology professor. And I had the expectation that he was gonna be a believer in Jesus and he was gonna teach me about the Bible in a positive light. Didn't happen, okay? He was not a believer in Jesus and he did not teach me about the Bible in a positive light. So my expectation's up here for him. I'm super excited. I'm gonna take a class about Matthew and Mark. It's gonna be awesome. Week one, I'm like, huh, something doesn't feel right. <laughs> week two, week three, I'm out. Done. My expectation of you has not been met. I'm done. I can no longer sit in this classroom. Drop the class. Okay, so that's scenario number two. Positive expectation, they do not meet it. Scenario number three is when we have a negative expectation of someone and they live up to it. Okay? So let's say, for example, that my kid's bus driver... I have an expectation that they are going to be late every day. And this is hypothetical, by the way. My kid's bus driver's great. She's usually early. But let's just say I have the expectation she's going to be late. Every time that she's late, it like more firmly roots in my soul. Like she is not punctual. She is not caring. She doesn't care if my kid stands out in the cold. And it just like, it creates like a barrier between us. But it like makes that expectation become more firmly rooted in my heart. 
whether or not I've actually had a conversation with her or not. And then the last situation is we have a negative expectation of someone and they actually do better than what we expect them to. So let's say that there's a cashier at Kroger that I like to avoid because I just have the negative expectation that he's going to be rude to me. Maybe he's been rude to me in the past. Maybe he just doesn't have a kind countenance, whatever. But I just have this expectation that he's just not going to be kind to me. And then one day he has the shortest line and I'm in a rush and I have to go through his lane and surprisingly he's kind to me. And he notices all of my groceries and all of my children, and he decides to help me to my car. My, like, expectation of him starts to rise. It starts to change. And I then start to expect him to be kind, and I start to have a positive expectation for that man. But here's the thing. It's right there in the word, expectation. We expect people to behave the way we expect them to. We like actually watch for them to meet our expectations. And it's almost like we'll make a tally mark in our minds, like the bus driver. Oh, late, late again, late. Oh, she was early today, that's a fluke because she is not a punctual person. Late, 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 on time, well. And we just build a case for the fact that our expectation, that we read people correctly and our expectations are right. And we can almost like develop blinders and not really see people for who they are, but we see them through the lens of our expectations of them. And it can take a lot of effort for someone to flip our expectations of them and for us to start to think of them in a kind light or for us to think of them in a negative light. It can take a lot of um, interactions that go against our expectations for us to flip on that. And when we have expectations of people, we can have generalized kind of behavior, not behavior, character expectations of them. Like we can expect people to be kind, honest, loving, funny, just kind of generalized expectations. Or we can have very specific behavioral expectations. Like we can expect um, people to do something at a certain time, at a certain place, in a certain way. Now, my husband, Grant... I have generalized expectations for him. I expect him to be kind to me. I expect him to love me. I expect him to support me. I expect him to be generous towards me. But I also have specific expectations for him. I specifically expect him to come home from work at 5.30. I expect him to mow the yard. I expect him to help me grill dinner because grills and fire aren't like my thing. I expect him to do certain things at certain times. And he expects certain things of me. He expects me to pay the bills on time. He expects me to clean out the bunny cage. We expect things of each other. But we've been married for almost 14 years. So we have like a big foundation of relational equity with each other. If Grant doesn't meet one of my specific behavioral expectations for him, we have some conflict Like conflict arises, but it doesn't shake the foundation of the relationship that we have together. If he doesn't show up on time from work and he forgot to call me, I don't immediately flip to like, well, he's an uncaring guy. You know, he may have behaved in an uncaring manner, 
Probably not. He probably just was busy or had an emergency at work or whatever. But it doesn't shake the foundation of what I know to be true about Grant and my expectations for him in general. But when we don't have relational equity with someone, when we don't have that foundation, when they don't meet our specific behavioral expectations that we have for them, we can very quickly translate that into the foundation of our relationship. And it forms that basis and we generalize it. We take a specific behavioral expectation and we form it into a generalized expectation. So like with the bus driver, I have really zero knowledge of her character. I really don't know much about her and I don't know much about her life. Maybe her boss is always late and that's why she's late. Maybe her babysitter is always late and that's why she's late. So a brief interaction that I have with her and suddenly I've made a big assessment of her character. So we have to get to know people. We have, to have, a, we have an incomplete picture of a person if we're not living in relationship with them. So let's take this a step further and let's look at how this relates to our expectations of God. Because whether we know it or not, we all have expectations of God. We have both generalized expectations, things that we expect of God from his character, and then we also have specific behavioral expectations of God. We expect him to move in certain ways at certain times. And because we're human, (laughs) we don't know everything. Surprise, you don't know everything. I don't know everything. And so sometimes our expectations of God can be a little off, a little not right, a little not appropriate. And so when he doesn't meet those expectations or it appears to us that he doesn't meet the expectations that we have for God, we're suddenly in conflict with God. And I would go even so far as to say that every single person has expectations for God, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, everyone has expectations of God. Hopefully, if you believe in God, it's because you believe he's kind and loving and peaceful and hopeful and all of those things. But even unbelievers probably have expectations of God and they probably expect that he's angry with them, that he's mad at them, that he's vengeful and wrathful. So I read a passage this past week in the Gospel of Luke, and it struck me that Herod, who was one of the rulers in Galilee when Jesus was doing his ministry, that he, even though he wasn't a believer in Jesus, he had expectations of Jesus. So let's read that. That's in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 6. Let's see. So this happens during the Passion Week, so Jesus is on trial during this passage. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. So Herod 
wasn't a follower of Jesus, but yet he had expectations for Jesus. He had heard the hype and he wanted Jesus to perform for him. He wanted Jesus to entertain him. He wanted Jesus to perform a miracle just out of pure curiosity. But Jesus didn't fulfill Herod's expectation of him. I think sometimes we can get wrapped up, maybe this is just me, but sometimes I think we can get wrapped up in what other people expect of us and then feel like it's the kind thing to meet those people's expectations. That if I'm not fulfilling other people's expectations of me, I'm somehow being unkind to those people. Now, if it speaks to my character, then I probably should be meeting those expectations. But Jesus clearly didn't feel pressure to meet every person's expectations all of the time because he did not meet Herod's expectation here. He wasn't interested in just satisfying curiosity. He wasn't interested in putting on a show. Jesus wants relationship with people. Herod was not in a place at that time where he wanted relationship. And Jesus knew that. Herod, not too long before, had chopped off John the Baptist's head. His father, the other Herod, had killed all the two-year-old boys in the region around the time when Jesus was born because he thought Jesus was a threat to his power. Jesus had been in Galilee for a large chunk of his ministry where Herod was reigning. Herod never sought him out, never came to meet him, never went to him to see him perform a sign or a wonder or to teach or to preach. Herod wasn't interested in relationship with Jesus. And then when Jesus didn't entertain him, when Jesus didn't behave exactly the way that Herod wanted him to or expected him to, Herod mocked him. He made a quick judgment. And when he didn't meet that specific behavioral expectation, Herod flipped it into a generalized statement about Jesus's character. How often do we do that to Jesus or to God? A specific prayer that we pray and God doesn't answer it in the exact way at the exact time that we think he should or that we want him to. And we flip it and we say, God doesn't love me. God's not kind. God's not loving. God's not powerful. And we let our specific behavioral expectations that we have for God dictate what we think about God's character. But here's the thing, like Herod didn't really know who Jesus was. He didn't have a clear picture of who Jesus was, why Jesus was here, what Jesus really was trying to accomplish. If he really had known Jesus, he would have known that Jesus is in the business of healing, that Jesus does heal people, that Jesus does do signs and wonders all the time, but he does them from a place of compassion. He does them from a place of love. Often we see that Jesus's heart was moved and then he would heal someone. Jesus operates out of relationship, out of love, out of kindness. He's not just gonna satisfy someone's curiosity. He's not a show pony. Like he operates out of love and out of kindness. And I think, I think that if Herod had said to Jesus, hey Jesus, my stomach's been bothering me do you think you could help me? I think Jesus would have healed him. 
I think he would have had that sign or wonder because I think it would have showed that Herod's heart was like moving. It was opening like a tiny, tiny little bit. There was like a molecule of faith there. And Jesus would have said, yeah, of course I'll heal you because Jesus's heart can be moved for anybody. Jesus's heart is moved for everybody. Herod was not beyond saving. Paul did detestable things and he was able to be saved and write so much of the New Testament. Anyone is capable of being saved. Anyone is capable of moving God's heart. But Herod was not in that place. He was not in a place of wanting salvation. And really, if we get right down to it, isn't that what makes Jesus so amazing? Isn't that really the evidence that he is the true Messiah? That he can heal people, that he can move in power, that he does have authority, but that he's also loving and that he's kind. I don't want a Messiah that's not loving. I don't. I want a Messiah that's powerful and loving. But you know, these signs and wonders, they can be a tricky thing because they're powerful. And it's a big indicator of God's power and God's presence and God's might. But we have to be really, really careful not to seek signs and wonders. We are seeking God. We are seeking his presence. We are seeking his justice here on the earth. And when I say justice, I'm not talking about throwing people in jail or making people that are wrong pay. I'm talking about righting the wrongs. When somebody is healed, that is justice. It's righting the wrongs. It's bringing things to where in a just place. We need to seek God's love, God's power, God's mercy, God's hope, God's manifest presence. And then signs and wonders will naturally come. They'll naturally follow. We don't go after signs and wonders in and of themselves. And we talk often about praying for people, you know, even strangers or the cashier at Kroger and praying for people. And I think we've talked sometimes about how like a sign or a wonder could open somebody's heart. And I think we need to be a little bit careful with that because I think... When we go up to someone on the street and we pray for them, if they feel God's manifest presence on their body, it's really hard to ignore that. <laughs> and that, that's what we want to do. We want to lead people to have an encounter with God. We don't necessarily want to go to someone with the intent of let's have a sign or a wonder happen because then they, they can't say no to Jesus. Well, that's not true. In Luke 16, verse 31, Jesus said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Moses and the prophets is referring to the Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures that were there during Jesus's time. The Bible is our evidence that God exists. The Bible is our proof. The Bible is what we need to build our firm foundation of God's character on, of who he is and what he stands for. And once we're believers, each sign and wonder that we see, it just builds our faith. The foundation just gets wider and deeper and longer, and it's something more firm that we can stand on. 
But before we are believers, before we can accept the word of God as truth, signs and wonders aren't necessarily going to convince us. Perhaps this is what Jesus was even thinking of as he stood in front of Herod. Even if Jesus had raised somebody from the dead right then, it wouldn't have convinced Herod because Jesus had already raised someone from the dead. He had raised Lazarus. He had raised the 12-year-old little girl. Jesus had already done signs and wonders. They followed him. And Herod still had a hard heart. I think when people have a hard heart, signs and wonders aren't gonna make a difference. But when they have a soft heart, when they've started to turn towards Jesus, then that raises our expectation level. And that's a really good thing. And really, we see this all the time. I mean, miracles happen here all the time. The pizza guy, right, from FPU. We have miracles happen here all the time. We share about them all the time. And there are still people that don't believe in Jesus because they haven't accepted the truth of God's word. So when we encounter people, we have to lead them to an encounter with God, but also an encounter with truth, an encounter with the truth of God, of Jesus, in Romans 10, 17, it says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So what about us? What about those of us who already believe in God and we feel like God hasn't met our expectations? That's a sticky place. That's like a, a hard place to be. What do we do? Because something can happen, tragedy can strike, and we can start to think, well, maybe God really isn't good. Or maybe God doesn't really love me. And then we start to distance ourselves from God. Have you ever experienced that? I think that that happens because our expectations of who God is and how God operates are just a little off. They're a little incorrect. And so God, it appears to us that God doesn't meet our expectations. Maybe God's just unable to meet our expectations because God can't change who he is and God can't change that. So we need to have appropriate, accurate expectations for God. We need to have expectations that are in line with God's character. And when we do that, we'll experience less of that relational conflict with God. So first, the first thing we need to do is we need to actually build some relational equity with God. We have to know who he is. If we don't know who he is when he doesn't meet one of our specific behavioral expectations, we jump and make that a generalized character expectation of God. We have to know who he is. We have to have a foundation. How do we do that? Through a multitude of experiences with God. We have to read his word. We have to study his word. We have to know what the Bible says about him. We have to pray to him. We have to spend time with him. We have to listen to him speak to us. We have to build relationship with God. And then we need to live in a tension. We have to live in a place of tension. We have to be able to say, I expect God to move because we still have expectations of God. Don't hear me say that you can't have expectations of God. You can and you should. We need to live in a place of, I expect God to move right here and right now. And I believe that he wants to heal. And if by chance this doesn't happen right this minute, it's not gonna change who I think God is. 
I'm going to stand firm on his character. Because really, he's not a genie in the sky that just answers every request that comes to him. It's just not the way he functions. And our expectations could be flawed. They could be skewed. And if we're really, really honest, we're the ones that have been empowered to heal. We're the ones that have been given. We carry him inside of us. We carry the Holy Spirit. And we are the ones that have been sent out. We carry that authority. And then another reality is that we're engaged in battle. We're in warfare. There are things that happen that we can't see and we can't know when we pray. There's angels, there's demons. There's the story that Van shared from Daniel a couple weeks ago where Daniel prayed and 21 days later, an angel showed up said, hey, I was sent to you when you prayed, but I was held up by a demonic force in Persia for three weeks. We have no idea of knowing what goes on in the spiritual realm when we pray. So we need to stand firm on what we know of God and what we expect of God and also what we understand of the world around us. You know, there's one thing that's guaranteed in this world, and that's that we're going to encounter disappointment and pain and heartache. We are going to encounter those things. In John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 9. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. In 2 Timothy 3, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We are going to encounter hard times. Like God is not surprised by the fact that we encounter hard times because we live in a fallen world. And we live in a world where every human has been given free reign, not free reign, free will. <laughs> and, and every human can make decisions that impact all of the humans around them. If somebody gets hit by a drunk driver, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love that person that died in that car accident. It means that that human made a bad choice to drink and drive. There are things, we live in a fallen world. But we need to stand firm, really, on who God is. We need to expect him to be kind. We need to expect him to be good. We need to expect him to redeem the things that happen around us, that he will work things for our good. A couple of verses about the goodness of God. In Matthew 7, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We can expect God to give us good gifts. If we're his kids, we can expect him to be a good father. Ephesians 3, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So how do we... Let's go back to our expectations and to our four scenarios. How do we actually temper our expectations that we have of God? So let's start with the first scenario, that there's a good expectation and a good outcome. We expect something of God, and it appears to us that he meets that expectation. That's great. Our faith rises, our foundation gets wider, and we trust more in the goodness of God. Let's jump to the third one. We have a bad expectation of God. We, we don't think that he's kind. We don't think he's loving. We're in a place of doubt or fear. We don't think that he's gonna answer our prayer. And then it doesn't happen. Bad expectation and a bad outcome. We, that's the part where we need to remember that we live in a fallen world, that we live in a world where, where we can be oppressed, where there's demonic powers, there's demonic forces at work. It doesn't mean that God isn't good that God isn't loving. Then we can have a bad expectation and a positive outcome. (laughs) This is where God shows up when we don't think he's going to. That's awesome. And those are the moments where our faith just rises and we start to believe more of God. We start to believe that he's bigger, better, more powerful than what we had originally thought. I think the hardest one is the one where we have a positive expectation of God and he doesn't meet it. Or it appears to us that he doesn't meet it. What do we do in that situation? How do we handle that? Because that's, really, that's a really tough place to be. I um, recently had a situation in my life where I really had to kind of wrestle with this. And... I've told the story before, so I'm not going to tell every detail, but in January, we were on a cruise, and my son Noah, who's eight, had a cardiac arrest. And that day, we had gone to a private island, and I had gotten an hour to myself to like sit and read, and it was glorious. I was on a beach, and it was beautiful, and the kids were busy, and I had a book with me that I had purchased a year beforehand, but I had never gotten a chance to read. So I finally cracked it open as I'm sitting on this beach, and the book is called Start With Amen, and it's by Beth Guckenberger, who is actually local. She lives in Cincinnati. She's a fabulous speaker and teacher and author. Um, And this book was talking about how when we pray, we usually end with amen. And amen can also mean so be it. So we give God like our laundry list of like, please do this, please do this, please do this, please do this. And then we end with amen, like so be it. And so she's kind of flipping that and saying like, well, let's start with amen. Let's start from a place of, God, you're good. God, you're kind. God, you're loving. And so be it. And then I'm going to pray for what I need to pray for. But starting from a place of rest, starting from a place of like, this is, this is who God is. So I'm reading this book and it's blowing my mind. It was good. And then we go back to the ship and 
I come out of the elevator and I see my kid laying on the floor, not alive. And my first human reaction was panic and despair and all the things. And then I realized I had a choice. I had a choice to make. And I I was standing over here and I was kind of looking up the stairwell and God brought the book to my mind that I had been reading just four hours prior. And I had a choice. I could stay in that place of panic and I could stay in that place of desperation and I could stay in that place of like, God, how could you? You're supposed to protect him. I could go that way. But instead I said, God, so be it. And I turned and I looked at my kid and I said, so be it. If he does not take another breath, if his heart never beats again, so be it. You are good. I'm going to love you. I'm going to trust you. My faith is not going to waver. I'm going to do this well. And I had like this something just well up inside me of like, I'm going to do this well. I'm going to do this well. So be it. You are good. You are kind. You are loving. You love my boy more than I do. You are good. There are things that work here that I don't understand. Death is of the devil. (laughs) There were demonic things at work in that moment. There were natural things at work in that moment. His heart isn't structured properly. He has some things that are too big in his heart. So there's natural things at work. We live in a fallen world where there's germs and diseases. Like there's natural things at work. There's supernatural things at work. God didn't kill my kid. (laughs) He didn't. He's a good, good God. He doesn't do that. It's not from him. So I need to stand there and rest in that. Now, I didn't, I forgot to do this first service. He's alive. (laughs) He lived. (laughs) I forgot to like tell the end of the story. And a visitor came up to me afterward like, how is he? And I was like, oh, he's fine. He's right back there. (laughs) So he's alive. God is good. He's amazing. (laughs) But when we're in that sticky place of like something's happened, tragedy has happened, something has occurred, we need to be able to stand firm on what we know of God. We have to. That's what's gonna get us through and stand firm on the fact that God's gonna redeem what the devil intends for our harm. So stand with me, if you would. And just put your hands out. God, we come to you with open hands. God, we ask that you would reveal to us what expectations we have of you. Both our expectations of your character and our specific expectations that we have for you. I pray that you would reveal them to us, that we would have a clear understanding because we can't take our lenses off until we know what they are. So come and speak to us, God. Come and show us the ways that our expectations are in line with who you are and the way that our expectations are off just a little. 
come and align our hearts with the truth of who you are. God, we have some soft spots in our hearts where we've been holding a grudge maybe against you that you didn't meet our expectations or we thought you didn't meet our expectations. God, would you come into those soft spots? Would you come and would you show us your heart? Would you take those soft spots? God, some of us are in a hard, hard place right now and we've been pushing and we've been pressing in and it doesn't feel like things are moving. Would you root us more firmly in your goodness? Yeah, I sense almost like God's dropping like a plumb line. It has a weight on the bottom and it's just a plumb line going through our hearts that God is good. And that that is what we're going to measure against. From this moment forward, we will be able to measure all of life's events against that, against your goodness. So bring it, God. We want it. God, we ask for your redemption in situations that have not been in line with your heart, that you would come and you would bring redemption. And God, we pray that you would fill us with expectation, that you would fill us with expectation that we would go through life expecting to see you move, expecting to see you right the wrongs, expecting to see your kingdom come, that you would embolden us and empower us to do that because you have given us authority. How crazy is that? Thank you that you have trusted us. Let us be ambassadors of your goodwill in this world. Let us just completely blow people's minds with how good you are. Let us carry your presence. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are kind. Thank you that you are loving. Thank you that you are for us that you are for us and thank you that one day everything will be made right. That we hold on to that as a promise. Thank you, Father. Amen.